Hi everyone, you are now tuning in to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. Our very first guest is Dave Bossert. He was the former visual effects supervisor over at Disney. And this will be part one of our discussion. Hi everyone, I'm really excited for you guys to join us today for Conversations with Filmmakers. It's a podcast that is just trying to be more for educational purposes for those aspiring filmmakers. I am super excited to introduce the guest of the day, the millennium, the decade, who is so cool, um, Dave Bossert. Bossert because he had to let me know, but he called me Vontae, so it's okay. We're just, you know, doing our thing and everything. He had spent, he had spent 32 years at Disney as their um, VFX guru, pro, supervisor, whatever you might want to say, and now he is a nonfiction writer. Dave, I am super excited to have you here. How are well, you doing today? Uh, Vanti, I am so happy to be here and talking with you. Um, uh, you know, we I think we hit it off when when we caught up on a phone call the other day. Yes, absolutely. I felt like we could talk for hours, and that was hilarious to me because I love when people are able to open up, and you are yeah. such an open person. And with a great personality as well. So these yeah, people don't even know. I, I, I'm a total open book, so you can ask me anything you want. I love that. And I am going to be asking you a lot of questions. No, not too many, but enough to like really get to know you and everything, which I think is so important for the viewers to, um, you know, get a, have a part of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So this industry is very wide and everything. And we have a lot of you know, the millennials and all these different groups that want to get into this industry. And that is what I'm looking forward to is just getting you to, to speak more to that. So let's get started with the interview. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I wanted everybody to know as well, you've worked on a slew of projects for Disney, like the original Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and the list goes on and on. But Tell us, what was the project you had the most fun on? Well, I, you know, I always I, I always tell people that, I, you know, every single project I worked on, uh, mm -hmm. there, there are very fond memories. There's mm -hmm. things I learned. Mm -hmm. um, I can't really put my finger on any one project to say it mm -hmm. was better than another project because it's almost like trying to determine who's your favorite child. And you can't really do <laughs> can't really do that right exactly. you know and, and not so out loud right and, and so one thing i would i would say when you introduced me saying i was a vfx guru at disney no i wasn't i was a visual effects animator and i became a visual effects supervisor mm -hmm. and then a creative director director producer you know i headed up a special projects unit but i was a part of an incredibly talented group of artists and craftspeople and technicians, um, you know, software engineers. And, and that's the thing I would say right off the bat mm -hmm. is that making any kind of a film or television production, whether it's live action or animated, doesn't matter. 
the fact is is that you are a cog in a machine you mm -hmm. are you are one member of a big team of people mm -hmm. and in, in in terms of working on a feature animated film you know there's five or six hundred uh people on the yeah. you know the 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 mostly artists and and mostly uh technicians and uh uh specialists and you know uh production management people but it is one big team and that's what people really have to understand is mm -hmm. that it's not all about one person you yeah. know i mean yes it's about a director's vision or the directors if there's multiple directors it's about their vision and getting their vision up on the screen but it is about a group working together to create that vision for people to enjoy when it goes to the theaters um i so, can definitely agree with that that is a really yeah. excellent breakdown and would you elaborate for us then like what would your average day look like if you were going into say one of these productions and you were about to start on a project you mentioned like all of those people a lot of times the audience that's listening may not know what that looks like so I would love if you could break down like what your average day could possibly look like well you know when you're doing a feature animated film it, mm -hmm. it generally uh, takes place over two to three years Mm -hmm. You know, there's a small group of people, the director and some story artists that start on the film initially, mm -hmm. you know, and then they start to layer in more people as the production moves along. Mm -hmm. And so I, I will just tell you, when I started out at Disney, uh, my my first week at the company, I was low man on the totem pole. I was <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a position called an in-betweener. So I created oh. drawings in between another artist's two drawings. Oh wow! To, to smooth out the action, and oh. and so when I started out as an in between, and my day was I came in, uh, and I went into my office and I sat at a desk and I drew for eight hours, you know, and I had wow. a lunch break and I had a morning break for fifteen minutes and an afternoon break for fifteen minutes. But for the most part, I just sat at a desk and I did drawings wow. for eight hours. Now, from there, you move up the ladder. And, mm -hmm. you know, I became an animator, a special effects animator. And so then it was about meeting with the uh, head of the effects department and sometimes the director and going over a series of scenes or shots, as they call them now. Mm -hmm. But it's individual scenes individual shots in a movie and um uh, and discussing what the director's vision is and what he wants to see in the special wow. effects that have to go into that and then you're back at your office and you're creating but sometimes you know when i had a scene issued to me i would go back to my office and i had this really nice vintage leather chair it was like yeah. a leather recliner but not what like color what color it was, it, it was tan. It was oh. it was like it was like a tan naugahyde. Okay, it was like <laughs> it was like automotive upholstery, and, uh, <laughs> and 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 I'll tell you that I oftentimes I would go back to my office and I would sit in that recliner, mm -hmm. and I I'd, I'd stare out the window or I'd stare at the ceiling or I'd, I'd sit there with my eyes closed and and that's part of the process. Mm -hmm. it was, for me, it was visualizing what. The director wanted to see in the scene and before i could start drawing i really needed to see it mm -hmm. 
you know, in my mind's eye. In in yeah. my mind, I had to see that, um, you know, that image of what it is I was going to create. Uh, and and sometimes there were production management people that just thought you were goofing off, mm -hmm. you know, that because you were just you know sitting in a recliner with your eyes closed or staring off in the space. And uh, and actually, it was an important part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know I had a producer tell me recently because, you know, I told you yesterday I'm a screenwriter and everything and I do the same thing. I feel like us as story creators or writers, we're like the original virtual reality. Like we literally walk in the room and we can see it in our mind's eye in order to bring it to life. And that's what he said. He said, I'm so happy you didn't rush because you're busy, right? And yeah. you're so busy. Don't rush into it. Take that time until it's right there, right? So that's really amazing. Yeah, and, and you know uh, that that was the process. And, and look, as, as I moved along in my career and, and and took on greater responsibilities, you know, when when I became a visual effects supervisor and uh, I was in charge of a an effects department on uh a, you know a film, mm -hmm. um you know I had a I had a group of people, you know, I had 18, 20 people or so, uh you know, working in the department with me, mm -hmm. and and so then you start start to have you know management responsibilities and you have you know people you have to answer to and you have to turn out a certain amount of work each week in order to meet the schedule of the project and mm -hmm. there's you know it's very fluid there's there's all kinds of hiccups scenes take longer other scenes you know don't take as long as you thought they would uh there's uh changes being made in the production as it's in production so something that you may have done might get thrown out and you have to redo it or do something new uh because mm -hmm. they made changes so um uh it, there was a lot more going on it was a more dynamic day uh mm -hmm. and, and then you know as the as the division became much more successful in this sort of renaissance of disney animation with beauty and the beast and aladdin and lion king and pocahontas and those films in the mm -hmm. 1990s you know, there there were more more production people being added on. Uh, the the division started growing. They were doing uh, leapfrog production, so there was two productions going on at once, so that they could put a movie out, an animated film out every year. Um, you know, there was wow. more me. There was more meetings. There was more logistics really to juggle. Yeah. Um, you know, so you just as you move up the ladder, you do get busier, you have more variety in your day um, and more responsibilities. You are tuned in the Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. Now a word from our sponsors. We are proud to present Who Nation TV Plus, a worldwide urban TV, movies, culture and entertainment platform available on the Roku and Fire TV networks. Download the Who Network app on the Google Play Store and join the Who Nation social community for true freedom of speech and expression with friends and family today. Or visit whonetwork.com. That's who, H-O-O -O Network. Thanks everyone and we are so happy to be sponsored by them. Hi there and welcome back to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. And how did you know you were ready to manage teams? So you were saying that you were you know, at the low totem pole, the in-between, helping out 
and then yeah. you were slowly moving up you were you then started managing these teams and the logistics when yeah. did you feel like you were really ready for that well i you know i think that as you go along like i i i went i became an animator and then i became a supervising animator Mm -hmm. uh and, and and then i became a visual effects supervisor and, and and it was funny during the 1990s i actually started going to the anderson school of management at ucla at night and i oh, was well. taking management classes and accounting classes and you know things that you know one of the things with uh artists that they don't necessarily get when they go to school is mm -hmm. business classes you know, and uh, and it's so important if you're going to be an artist that you have, a, a, a you know, knowledge of business. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I know so many, so many artists that really have never been able to sort of advance their artistic careers mm -hmm. because they're not good at business. Mm -hmm. You know, so, some of them. All they want to do is just sit and paint or draw, and and, and that's all they want to do, and that's yeah. fine, you know. But but there there's others that I think would like to move up the ladder, but they don't really they they really can't. They've hit a wall mm -hmm. because they don't really have the knowledge or the wherewithal to be able to manage people. Yes, you know, and and, and mm -hmm. yeah, and and managing creative people is is very different than managing you know. A group of workers at a supermarket that are stocking shelves. You Absolutely. know, uh, when you, when you're managing creative people, you you have to be aware of you know the quirks and the the uh, you know the the various personalities, uh, and, and you can't you can't manage all in one uh, way. Yes, you, you almost have to manage people individually and as a group. You know? Absolutely. And, 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 and so for me, you know, I had artists who, you know, they they work best into the evenings and they like to come in at 10 or 1030 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I had other people who like to come in at seven in the morning. And I was more of a morning person. But for me, I always accommodated whatever the work schedule was, as long as the person gave us an honest day. You know, and, and if they, that. you know, if they, if they wanted to work until eight or nine o'clock at night, that, that was up to them. You know, if that, if that was the way it worked for them to get the best out of them, that more power to them. And I, I was fine with it. That is a true New Yorker right there. Just like myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, and, and by the, I, I was just going to add to it. And by the way, you know, uh, I was never worried about somebody, you know, uh, uh, cheating us or not doing yeah. their job because they had work that they had to produce. And if they weren't producing it, then they weren't working. Absolutely. So it was more like measuring those metrics by producing the content. And you're it, saying it, like you were doing a flexible work schedule before it was even the norm to do. Like absolutely. a lot of, you yeah. know, a lot of companies are doing that now. But back then, it wasn't. It was something unheard of. They wanted you to be on that nine to five grind. So absolutely, I I'm sure you had people vying to try and get on your team yeah. because you know life happens, right? You know, we're just coming out of a pandemic where we had to work remote, and that created such flexibility for a lot of people. 
So yeah, and no, and I agree with that. And, and, but my philosophy had always been that you know, yes, life happens. There are things people have to do during the day, but also. I trusted the people I had on my team. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain level of trust. And, and by the way, there were people over the years that violated that trust, you know, and you, you sit and talk to them and you tell them what the score is. And I was always very blunt about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you give them another chance. And, and if, and if they don't course correct, then they're, they're gone. And, and I made I made that very clear right up front when the first time I had a talk with somebody um, uh, about you know their you know behavior uh, their, their work behavior their work ethic mm -hmm. um, I told them right up front look I you know I'm I'm happy to accommodate you if if you can't you know if you don't want to come in early if you don't want to come in you know you want to come in midday and work in later I'm totally fine with it. But, you know, if you're if you're going to skate here and, and and cheat me out of uh, an honest day's work, uh, if you keep it up, you're gone. And I was that blunt about it, you know, and, you know, and there was one person, one or two people over the years that I had to cut loose. But most people, you know, I respected them. I trusted them mm -hmm. and they got the work done. And that's all that matters. And, in that and, movie. and, and, you know, something 10 years from now, 10 years after the movie was released, nobody's going to be sitting in the theater go, Oh, you know, that scene well, that, that took three days longer than it should have, you know, yeah. nobody, <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody's going to say that, you know, no. the people are just going to sit there and enjoy the film for what it is. Yes. Absolutely. You know, so now a message from our sponsors. We are excited to bring you this world exclusive teaser from Bad Rabbit Pictures and Movie Pods. They are presenting Age of Prophecy, a sci-fi fantasy podcast done in the style of the radio dramas of yesteryear. Coming soon to all streaming platforms. Visit www.moviepods.com or www.thenukechronicles.com for all the release dates. You won't want to miss this one. Your myths were born from our history. Let's check it out. Life. A vile, messy sequence of events before we die. All designed for something beyond us. It has to be. Or else, what's the point? You don't know me, but I know you. I am responsible for your triumphs and miseries. I am Zira and Lil Zor. And to truly understand your own story, you must know mine. Your myths were born from my history. Hi there, and welcome back to Conversations with Filmmakers podcast. And to go back to what you had mentioned about business as well, um, can you speak more on, you were saying like to get trained up. So I know a lot of times, you know, like for instance, right now, right? We have the Instagrams and the TikToks and all of that. And a lot of young kids are trying to get the revenue from that, but they really sometimes don't understand business, right? Um, you're working in education now, correct? 
we have well i i mean i i'm i'm writing uh you know i go out and lecture occasionally at schools you know and that kind of a thing but i i wouldn't say i'm working in education you know i've done educational films i and and like i said i speak at, at various schools periodically uh, but but the 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 important thing that people have to realize is that you know because you ask how how do how do people get these skills a lot of it is on the job training it's having Absolutely. good bosses and learning from those bosses on how to manage you know mm-hmm. and uh and, and it's really that's what it boils down to I think you know when I when I first got out of uh, school I went to Cal Arts. And I was in the character animation program at Cal Arts. And mm-hmm. when I left there and eventually got hired at Disney, I learned more in the first six months I was at Disney about animation production than I did the three years I was at Cal Arts. And I think that's mm-hmm. a natural with any profession and anybody who's coming out of college. Whatever the job is you're going to get, you're going to learn more in that first six months or that first year than than anything you learned in in, in the college program you were in, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it it I I really would stress that it's important to have some good mentors and some uh, you know hopefully good managers that you can look up to and get guidance from and advice from because mm-hmm. that's what you're gonna learn you're gonna learn on the job you know I mean as an artist. I want, I took the time to go and take business classes at night, you know, mm-hmm. because I wanted Absolutely. to have that exposure, uh, to shore up, you know, that part of my thinking, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, other people chose not to do that, you know, but, uh, you know, for me, uh, it, I was able to do it. Uh, you know, sometimes it was tough, you know, doing a full day, and then go and do a three hour class at night and driving home late and all of that. But uh, I look back on it and it was so worth it. And and also just education when you get out into the work world, just keeping up on new technology, learning new programs, new software, you know, just the, the newest things that are coming along in whatever industry you're in. If Absolutely. you're in the entertainment industry, it's really about keeping on top of the trades and reading, reading the articles and, and, you know, reading interviews with filmmakers and, and all of those things Mm -hmm. uh, to, to keep abreast of what's going on in your industry. Absolutely. And going back to the mentoring process, did you have a mentor yourself? You know, I had, I had several mentors uh, throughout my, my career. Uh, people that I looked up to, people that I wanted to emulate, uh, people mm-hmm. that I asked advice of, um, and uh, and I also had some crappy bosses, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that that were you know opaque in their communication and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know mercurial in their behavior, and you know never really getting any kind of guidance from them. You know, and that's it's kind of a shame. And and that wears you down a bit, too, Absolutely. you know, because because it's frustrating. It's it's sort of an energy suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, 
you gotta you gotta roll with some of this uh when you get into the industry but it's so important to get your foot in the door in an entry-level position mm -hmm. and then set your sights on what it is you want to do and and become friends with some of those people that are doing those things mm -hmm. and ask them questions and ask them for their advice and see if you can you know apprentice with them or you know do something on your own time to show them that you're serious about you know going into this field hi everyone and thanks again for joining us just so you know dave bussert is actually going to be releasing a visual companion book for the nightmare before christmas that will be dropping on september 26th please check out his website at www.davebussert.com to learn more hi there and welcome back to conversations with filmmakers podcast and I would also say to the audience, um, thinking outside of the box on trying to find those opportunities. You know, um, Dave, when I first started over at Sony Pictures, I was able to get in there because they had a staffing agency on site. And a lot of people didn't realize that, like a lot of the major studios have, you know, vendors that they work with that right. you can go and apply for. Um, through them. It takes a little bit of research and everything, but it is definitely out there. So it's not always just, oh, let me look on the company's website, think outside of the box and definitely networking. And I'm sure that's something that you are excellent at doing, Dave, is um, the networking process, you know? You know, I, I kind of think of myself as as not a great uh, networker, but I, I, I know, but, but I know a lot of people, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I don't know, you know? I, like, I I I guess you know if if you want to say I guess I'm a soft networker, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I I'm not out going to the parties and all that kind of stuff yeah. all the time and you know glad handing people, but you know I know a lot of people in the industry and uh and I I have the pleasure of working with some of those people or you know reaching out to them if I need help with something you know mm -hmm. and it's been a big help actually with uh with the books I've been writing you know Absolutely. to to be able to you know i there there's a a wonderful art director and and uh background artist who i've worked with for decades and mm -hmm. um you know she she helps me all the time with uh you know digital restorations and you know other uh you know recreating uh pieces of art and things like that uh she, she, you know, I, I could pick up the phone or send her an email and, uh, and we, we just work. And so, you know, it is important to network because, you know, you build up a, a what I used to call a Rolodex, you know, we don't have Rolodexes <laughs> anymore. I'm it's dating myself. Rolodex now. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you, you build up all these contacts and you keep in touch with people and, you know, and, and I have people calling me and asking for favors if I know somebody or if I know then I connect people and, mm -hmm. you know, let them go off and do their thing. Uh, you know, that that's was, that's really just what friends do, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and and I'm happy to do it. But uh, but if you're just starting out, it's important to you get your foot in the door. And I always stress entry-level position just take yeah. whatever take whatever it is i know a number of artists uh that be, had very successful careers who started out in the mailroom at disney 
Mm-hmm. And they wanted to go into the animation department, but there was no openings. But the but the hiring person said, "Well, we do have a a position in traffic, which was their mail department, mm-hmm. and uh, and they would ride their bikes around the studio lot and go to the different buildings and deliver mail to people's offices." And uh, and so I know a number of people who said, well, I'll, I'll take that job. And they, they took they took the job in the mailroom and then they were delivering mail to people in the animation department and and they introduced themselves and they got to know people. And then on their lunch break, they were doing tests and getting training from these, you know, incredible uh, Disney artists. Wow, and, and then eventually when a when a, a a position opened in animation they got hired into it from the mailroom so Genius. you know and that and, and and we always hear countless stories of people at television networks and even though networks are kind of you know going by the wayside i guess with streaming 